Hello and welcome to this week's Hong Kong Heritage. I'd like to introduce you to a friend of mine, Carmen Yao, a master's student in social work at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. But I got to know her more than 10 years ago with the families of SMA Charity here. SMA stands for Spinal Muscular Atrophy, a condition Carmen has. She uses a ventilator to sleep and gets around in a power wheelchair. As a child, Carmen knew both her grandfathers, and while they were both very different from one another, she says they both had an influence on her life. I'll return to her father's father, her ye-ye, in another programme. This week, Carmen talks about her maternal grandfather, her gung-gung, who was a cloth businessman who came from near Shanghai. He and his wife had 11 children who he could squeeze into a Volkswagen Beetle. Well, in, if I called my grandfather in the mother's side, I would call Gong Gong. In my, on my father's side, we call Ye Ye. So it's a bit different it, compared to pe- people who speak in English. But for Chinese, we recipient them very clearly. So Gong Gong and Ye Ye, and they were quite influential in your life. When I was a kid, I never think that they really become very influential to me. But nowadays, when I'm reaching my 30s, I found that uh, what they did is very fascinating. So um, last year, I started to dig more stories about my grandfathers. And it's interesting to see that two very different families come up with a very beautiful marriage and a lovely kid like me. So first of all, if you can go to your mother's father. His name is called Wang Moksang. In my memory, his when even when I, from I was four years old, even I'm in 30 years old, in my memory, my Gong Gong is always wear a very nice suit with a very good tie and perfume and a very stylish hairstyle, even he's eight years old. Now, did he come from Shanghai? He come from a place near Shanghai. It's called Kuijiao. It's very near Shanghai. So that's why in the back of my memory, he's a very Shanghai style, very modern and very businessman. He do a lot of work and business in Hong Kong. So I have a lot of good memories about him because when I was a kid, around five or six years old, I spent most of my time in my Gong Gong's office. In the old days of Hong Kong, there's a lot of people having their own factories and offices in Changshawan. So in uh, Changshawan, yes, in Changshawan. So, so which part of Hong Kong is that? It's Kowloon, somewhere near uh, Lai Chi Kok and between Mong Kok. So, it, as far as I remember, it was a building. And uh, say my grandfather's office was in the sixth floor, and uh, one of my aunts, she owns a, she runs a factory, so her factory was on the second and third floor, and my mother was working as an accountant in my aunt's factory, so that's why I spend most of my time in my grandfather's office because my mom is usually working on the second and third floor in the factory so usually in the morning I spend most of the time in the factory because maybe we're watching them working or playing along with the the clothes, the garment and there's a lot of people they are uh, sewing clothes and dresses and fashion clothes so my aunts were running a fashion uh, factory so 
in the morning I I watch them, and in the afternoon usually around twelve o'clock. Usually I have to go back to my grandfather's office, which just only six floor. So I will sit there and wait for lunch. Your Um, currently doing a master's of social work, your education hasn't been held back by your disability. But in fact, as a kid, uh, were you homeschooled? Yes, because at that time, Hong Kong's special education is not really well developed, and most of the mainstream schools are not uh, facilitated for wheelchair students. So I have no opportunities of going to you know any kind of school. Or, in fact, when I was studying in a kindergarten and and one of the grading, like sixth grade or. Uh, for fifth grade, you have to go to uh, one more floor. I mean, go up with the stairs. But because of my disability, I can't go up at all. So I was forced to quit from the school. So I was. That's why I spend most of my time idling in my mother's office or my grandfather's office. That's why I have very good memories of spending time in my grandfather's office. So going back to what I said, I I had lunch in my grandfather's office. It's a very funny, you know, place to me about my grandfather's office because Gong Gong office is not only about an office. He lives there. There's a two small room. One room is his bedroom, and the living room was actually the the office where he have a very pretty. Secretary working there. <laughs> She's a very nice, kind, pretty, and hardworking secretary who working in the living room. And we have a very big dining table because every day lunch, my aunts and my mother and some of them will come up to sixth floor, and we all have a big family lunch together with my grandfather. So that's why every twelve hour, I was taken up to sixth floor waiting for the lunch. And beside of the big dining table, we still have one ama working in the kitchen. So the ama has been spending nearly the rest, the most of her life. Yeah. So this is a very, this is not like the the Filipino or the Indonesian helper that is, you know, that that we have in modern day Hong Kong. This would have been a Chinese ama dressed in black trousers and white top. Yes, and with a long uh, ponytail that they seldom cut their hair, but they are very hardworking and they never get married and they start to serve the families since they were very young. So I have a very nice arm of helping taking care of the family and the children. So she was there for pretty much it was a lifelong job for her. Yes, that's why I have very you know good connection between me and her because my mama watched my mother grown up, so now she is watching us to grown up. So the feeling is very you know special, and and she's a very loving mama, and and you know sometimes because in Hong Kong in Chinese family we don't usually um, treat children with candies and a lot of snacks because. Chinese family usually think that this this sort of thing will spoil them. So, but my mama always secretly, you know, give me <laughs> one or two piece of candy that she 
She keep kept it in the pocket, and every time I go go out, I I always go and search for her first because I I'll go and collect my candy, and then I'll just take it and sit in the living room for lunch. Now tell me about uh, your grandfather. He originates from near Shanghai. What do you know about his boyhood? Well, he was born in 1917. He quit school around the age of 13, and he started to become a trainee in Shanghai. That he learned a lot of things about cotton and garment and all sorts of things. He's just spent two years, and he know all everything about it, all the skills and technique. And then he would just sail out and go to Singapore. So he started his business and. Finally, he came to Hong Kong, so he started his business and his office and everything, and family in Hong Kong. So that's why we started、uh, my his office, our home in Changshanwan. How did he meet your grandmother? From my Gonggong side, they don't mention a lot about my grandmothers, but my grandmother is a quite happy person. I find it very amazing for a lady who can have ten daughters and one son. It is a very big family. It, I mean, but in in the old days, Hong Kong families do run a very you know a, a big number of children. So you can hardly imagine that in a very small house in a Changshanwan, with ten or eleven kids running around in the house, I think is totally a nightmare. They had ten daughters, one son. Do you think that they carried on having children because they were hoping for a son? I guess in in Chinese tradition that they think having both daughters and sons so that it will make the family completed, especially on the sons. So that's why they make a very you know big effort of you know having a son. With having so many children, can you describe what your mother's experience was? I think at the old times, most of the families are in poverty. I mean,、uh, raising kids are very difficult, so that's why there's a lot of stories that you know children having not enough food to eat, no money for medicine or food or doctors or education, everything. So, I think at that time, childrens are you know grown up in a sense of insecurity. Because if your family cannot continue to raise you, you, I mean, the family probably have to come up with other opportunities for the children, for example, like adoption or different kind of things. So imagine a family with eleven kids. So of course, I think both all of them, you know, they grown up in a sense of insecurity. But at the same time, they, I mean. They love the family very much, so the emotional bonding is very strong. Because、um, my mother is the fifth daughter, so、um, she got the elder ones to take care of her. But when the elder ones become, you know, they're grown up now and they go to work, and then my mother's started to have to take care of the youngest one. So the the combination will be like that. When did he come down to Hong Kong, and why? I don't exactly know when he arrived. I mean, he came to Hong Kong, but I think he started 
I mean, around World War Two, at that time, because I've heard from my aunts about, you know, World War Two. They're starting to come over Hong Kong, arranging, you know, some of the kids coming over to Hong Kong. So I think it's about that time they started the family in Changsha Wan, and because there's too much kids, so some of them have to be taken care of by the auntie. I mean. The auntie means um, the sister of my mother, so um, that's why a lot of kids were, you know, sometimes they were separated, or they have to move to different places to live. You mentioned that you used to go up to the sixth floor and you used to wait for lunch. You would occasionally, you know, be spoiled by your armor and receive uh, candy that she'd hidden in her pockets. Um, but your, you had a very specific role at these family lunches. Well, because I'm the youngest kid and I'm the one who have no job, no responsibility. The only responsibility or what I have to do is to eat in the lunch. And um, every time, the reason why um, we need an armor, you know, stationing in the office home, because uh, she prepared lunch and everybody have to have a very quick lunch and go back to work. So I'm the only one. Who have no arrangement at all, so I can have a very slow lunch, and you know, but I have I have a role. I have to sit next to my grandfather, because I have to accompany him to finish his meal. So I sit next to him and make sure that he finish his meal, so that I I fin after he finish his meal. Actually, we have he have a habit. I think it, it's a lot of you know. Shanghainese or some people make practice habits is、um, when they finish their meal, they usually require a pot of hot water with some、um, we call the、uh, Florida water. If you know it's、uh, if you can, you still can find in the, some old drugstore. It's the two girls brand. They call the、uh, Florida water. It smells like perfume. So usually. After the meal, what I have to do, even I'm a kid, I have to prepare a hot pot of water and a towel and a few drops of that kind of perfume thing for him to wash his face after a meal. So that's my main task, and that's my responsibility to serve him. So every time after he wipe his face, he never wash his towel, and then he come up to wash my face too with his towel. So the feeling is very special. I mean, so that's why last few years ago, my mother gave me another bottle of of Florida water because it really means a lot to me. So yes, I would imagine that the smell is very evocative of that time with、yeah. your grandfather. Well, that's why、uh, every time when I think of my Gong Gong, every time I th- I can I it, it feels like、um, I can smell that perfume thing again immediately. It's always in my memory about him about that that kind of sense. You've described him as being very smart in his attire. What kind of character was he? He's a very wise man, and、um, he loves. I mean, he's not. He doesn't talk much, but he's very. He loves to observe very well. As far as some of my aunts and relatives men describe him as a very quiet, wise businessman, even in the family, because in Chinese family, 
male, the father usually have to work very hard in in office in the outside world. So when they come back from the family, usually the mother is in charge of everything. But uh, for my grandfather, he observed quietly how my grandmother raised the children. So imagine eleven kids. So of course there are some children being neglected. So my grandfather would spend more time with the children he considered to be, you know, to be neglected by my grandmother, and he will spend much more time with them. And when you look back at that time, I mean, when you were in this one building in Chungchawan, where there was this uh, basically closed factory uh, initiated by your grandfather, and then you had your aunts working there. So was there this whole buzz going on in this building of sewing machines and? Yes, it does, and we still have a room uh, having a lot of cloth because if you can, if you go to Changshuawan, sometimes you can see there's a big row of a lot of cloth. So because my grandfather's business was selling this kind of cloth, so that's why we have a stock room with all this kind of cloth. I was always very afraid of getting inside because the the, the rows are very tall. Imagine for children. It was a dark room with a lot of row in the dark with you know cockroach and you know every scary thing can pop up in the room. So every time when I passed by, it was really scary. So, but um, some of my aunts have talked to me about the the rows because my grandfather have a small Beatles. I mean a fresh wagon Beatles car, a vehicle. Oh, Volkswagen, right? right. Yeah. So, you know, it's very fashion in that time. But, you know, imagine in such a small car, but he had to come up with so many kids getting into the bus, in it, into such a small car. It's, it's fascinating. And, <laughs> and totally illegal, probably. Yeah, but, you know, at that time, not many people, you know, consider that. But I think it's fascinating to see like a circus show that you can see, you know, one another children that's sitting on each other's lap and hiding in the in the um, the area where you put your feet. I mean, there's, you can put two kids in that small little area. It, it's, it's a very fascinating, you know, performance to me. But uh, one of my cousins, I mean, some elderly some elder cousins so they they share with me that when they were young kid and my grandfather was still driving that little beetle car she told me that the back seat was piled up with all sorts of cloth and because he have to because it's like a one man band even he even he have a you know secretary or having a good business but ev- he do it everything on his own even delivery so that's why that little beep car um he put the cloth at the back seat so even the grandchildren have to get on he just put the kid on the on the pile of you know cloth at the back seat and just drive to you know deliver or you know send her to school or whatever so it's a very you know good funny memory about my grandfather i think he's a very hard working person who do everything on his own were the, you know when you look at the sort of fabrics that were being sold in Chungshawan and areas around there, was that a very much a Shanghainese tailor kind of outfit, or were there all sorts of people coming in from different areas of the mainland, or even locally from Hong Kong? Well, in the old days, like what I 
like even armor or some some people in that old days, people make their own clothes. So that's why a lot of people were buying clothes and buying cloth in Changsha Wan. But the reason why my aunt started a business in, I think about 1980s or so, uh, they were running a factory in Changsha Wan. I think at that time, the, the business was a bit change in factories. I mean, people no longer, you know, make their own clothes. What they did is, uh, every season they go to Japan. So they will buy the, the clothes, dress in Japan, mm. and they brought it back in Hong Kong. So they follow this design and the structure, everything, and they just they do it again. So they must produce in Hong Kong for Hong Kong people. In addition to your grandfather coming, you know, he was selling the fabrics, he had come from near Shanghai. Around him, when you think about where the factory and where you used to serve your grandfather lunch, where were the other people from who were doing similar in that area? At that time, there was a lot of factory. There's button factories, there's um, zippers, cloth, um, rubber band, you know, there's a lot of different kinds that related to garments or, or even printing factories were even there. When you go and buy yourself clothes these days, do you find that because of your experiences as a child growing up, surrounded by, as you say, the material, people on sewing machines uh, producing these clothes, zipper factories, buttons. Uh, do you find that you're quite critical when you actually look at a garment that you're about to buy? The funny thing is, when I was a teenager, I, re- I still remember the dress my mother made for me or the clothes that my mother made for me. That She really buy a piece of cloth and, you know, start from scratch and we have our own sewing machine at home and she start doing it on, on her own. It was a very good memory, but nowadays and... I always, because my mother retired last year, so I always encourage her to start up her own work again because I really like, you know, handmade or homemade clothes nowadays. We started with your gungung, the uh, grandfather who originated from near Shanghai. And when did he pass away? He passed away in 2006. And um, it was a very sad for all of us. It was an unexpected loss of our family. Something very amazing is that um, after he passed away, so I always try to dig what he um, gave me. I mean, he's a very hardworking person. And um, one of the things that I think he affects me most is he did a lot of charity work, but keeping himself anonymous. Like, um, you know, he he brought the um, um, vehicle for hospital in where in his hometown, and he built schools and different kind of projects in the in his hometown. But he kept him, you know, being very quiet and low profile. So I think it's something that affects me a lot because I learned from him that, you know, being helpful or being generous to people doesn't really require um, payback. I think that's what what I learned from him. My thanks to Carmen Yao, a master's student in social work at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, talking there about her maternal grandfather.
month, the Helena May Institute in Garden Road will mark its 100th anniversary. The building these days is a declared monument in Central, and its structure remains largely unchanged from when it was built in 1914. It was officially opened on the 12th of September 1916 by Lady May, the daughter of the British commanding officer in China and Hong Kong from 1890 to 1895. The Helena May was built as a respite for unaccompanied women arriving in Hong Kong in 1891. Helena Barker married Sir Francis Henry May, who became governor of Hong Kong in 1912. This is a report from the Hong Kong Daily Press of Wednesday, September the 13th. 1916 Helena May Institute opening September the 12th 1916 A golden key knotted with a purple ribbon was used in the ceremony to open the Helena May Institute in front of a large and representative audience on the afternoon of September the 12th 1916 The principal donor for the project Mr Ellis Kadori in handing the golden key to the governor said Your excellency I am proud to have the privilege of handing you this key with which I ask your excellency to be graciously pleased to open this institute which I trust will realize all the anticipations formed with regard to it I beg that your excellency will keep the key as a souvenir of this occasion His Excellency Sir Henry May remarked amid much amusement, "I thank you, but in order to avoid any domestic trouble, I think I'll ask Lady May to unlock the door." The key was then handed to Lady May, which unlocked the door of the new building amid much applause. Those present then passed into the large lounge, and when as many as possible had been seated, the governor delivered his speech. He highlighted its origins and paid tribute to the donors. The main ones being Ellis Kadori, sixty-two thousand dollars in money of the day, and Mr. Ho Kom Tong, twenty-five thousand Hong Kong dollars. Governor May then outlined the purpose for the institute and paid tribute in his rather stuffy manner to women. His Excellency said. The beautiful building which you find yourself in today is well adapted to supply wants which have long been felt in this colony. In the first place, we have at present eight bedrooms available for women who are earning their living in this colony, and for friendless women who may be passing through it. And we can provide four more bedrooms if there's demand for them. The rooms will be allotted by a subcommittee, and care will be taken that the hospitality of the institute isn't abused. Occupants can board in the institute, and it's hoped that with this convenience, there'll be a steady demand for rooms. On the letting of which, the financial success of the institute will in no small measure depend. Ladies and gentlemen, the war has shown in a remarkable manner what splendid work women can do in directions hitherto closed to their energies. When peace is restored, we may expect to see women taking a far greater share in our national life than heretofore. It seems opportune, therefore, that this institute should be opened at this juncture, when we can usefully and fittingly form the centre of women's work in this colony. And now let me add one word of advice and encouragement. The management of this institute is the largest enterprise that women in Hong Kong have as yet been called upon to undertake. Your financial problems will not be the least of your difficulties. You may expect plenty of criticism, especially from those who lack the knowledge to criticize usefully. I shall watch your work with an interest, enhanced by the fact that honor's been done my wife in calling the institutes by her name, and I'm convinced that by the exercise of thrift, patience, and unselfishness which characterize women above men. 
Your efforts will be blessed with a full measure of success. Following the governor's speech, a prayer was then read by the bishop, Dr. Lander, and a thanksgiving hymn was sung. After which, those present made an inspection of the building. Tea was also served, during which entertaining selections were rendered by the police reserve band. Thanks for listening, and join me next week on Hong Kong Heritage.